0: In this episode, we interview author and cook Paulette Lissitra. Paulette studied culinary arts and practiced in New York City before bringing her talents to Nashville, Tennessee. She teaches cooking there and has authored two books on Italian cooking and also conducts culinary tours of Italy. To learn more about Paulette and get in touch, please reference our show notes. And on to the show. You're listening to Sharing the Flavor a show that connects you with flavor and how to create. In this show, we connect you with recipes, cooking techniques, and show you a little bit of the science of cooking to help make you a successful cook so you can share flavor with your friends. I'm your host, Andy Gebbie. From New York to Nashville, Chef Paulette has been cooking and teaching Italian food for many years and has authored two books in the process. So join us for a fun conversation of cooking in a big city and teaching in Nashville with Paulette. now than before, and it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. So I, so I should do some intros here. So we have a, we have a really fun show ahead of us here. We have uh, Chef Paulette, the chief le citra i know or le Citra, if you know if you're here in the states but so paulette is a um, it's it's i'm going to go through the litany a writer a cook (laughs) an artist a musician you're many things paulette
1: a dabbler that's what i call it
0: (laughs) you're a renaissance person so you you, and you and you, and you, you you live and breathe italy which is wonderful so yeah so, I
1: really would like to live there. I mean, really would like to live there. I did get my dual citizenship. So you did. I Good have, for you. Yeah. Um, I got that in the last three years, and it uh, took a while, and I did it through my grandfather's, my father's father's line down into um, Ragusa, Sicily. Um I just got it because I thought I might need it. <laughs>
0: good to
1: have.
0: <laughs> it's good
2: to have in your back pocket. Yeah. It it's in pretty bad shape here too though. Sorry. It's yeah. It's pretty bad.
1: Where are you, Giovanni? I don't even know where you are.
2: Right now I'm in I'm in the north. I'm in Lombardia.
1: Okay. Great. Not
2: in the city of Milano, outside of Milano.
1: Mm-hmm. In the hinterland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did. Well, and
0: That's so and we should, oh, talk, no, we should, it should sucks, tell people hey. no, it's Milan isn't the South, but you two know each other from Rome. So tell no, us. It so talks, so you tell can us. can say it. I'm not going to say it sucks because it doesn't, it doesn't totally suck. There's, there's, so I can't. How either. can I judge Milan? Come on. So but you two know you two know each other from Rome. So tell us the story of meeting in Rome.
1: Well, that we knew each other before Rome. I mean, the reason that we know each other is because Giovanni wrote for Alimentum. Oh, that's right.
0: Record. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we knew who each other was, you know. And um, and I don't remember. I mean, sorry, you know, there were a lot of writings going back and forth. But you did have a piece on the online journal, right? Yes, you did.
2: I do not recall. You did. I you did, Giovanni. You whatsoever. Did, you did. You don't but understand it. Anyway, I sincerely so do not to... recall.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, And let alone under what name. Yes, that's true. Who knows what name? That's right. But um, we had uh, correspondence. You know, never met in person, but we had correspondence before that. So we knew each other, didn't know each other. And that was the first time we actually met in person by chance, which was great. And and, um, I think, you know, I keep picturing the street where Joliti is, the ice cream place. (laughs) And I think it Buona. was that street. <laughs> like you were coming this way, and we were going that way. <laughs> and that's Buona. when we saw each other. I'm pretty sure that was where it was. And I don't think it was that same day, but maybe the next day, we made a plan to meet at this cafe that was um, specialized in Neapolitan pastries and coffee. And you said it would be really cool. And uh, Grancafe
2: Napoletano. It, it is one of the better cafes in Rome, by the way. It really is. At least it used to be. It's been a while, so.
1: Yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't had a chance to go back there even, even yet. And um, and that piazza, what was the name of that piazza?
2: De la Pietra. Um, De la Pietra. Rock, but because it's been, of that
1: wall there, or
2: they painted the the church slash the temple, and they made this kind of Swiss color, <laughs> kind of what like what color what's is that? The, it's like what's in your background, but three shades darker.
1: Oh, okay, okay. With
2: purple? With purple. It makes sense oh. as much as putting pineapples on pizza. Yeah.
1: Oh to God. use an
2: obvious thingy. And is it like I don't a know Swiss why they guard did.
1: Color? Yeah. Is it Swiss guard colors kind of thing? Or? No,
2: no, no. It's Swiss guard color, right. actually. They're pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Um, um
2: this just it's pretty it's
1: – What is
2: a weird thing. Starbucks and 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 um,
1: Eatily made a child, and, <laughs> and and yeah,
2: and it was aborted after three months, and that was its color, apparently. Anyway, they painted they painted the the the, the wall, and it, it took away much of the character of the of the piazza, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure you're right because it doesn't sound like it fits. But I also remember in that piazza, um, maybe it was after we had our coffee, um, there was a couple of people dressed up as um ancient Romans um doing some kind of a (laughs) a sport fight or something and then you could take your picture with them and some of my people were into that and they had their picture taken.
2: They're probably still there actually.
1: They're probably still there. That's cool. But anyway the beautiful it was a beautiful cafe. Um and the room in the we were in this they had several rooms I guess. But this room in the back that was there was like nobody else there. And we like took up this whole table. Everything, the upholstered chairs—it was like very, like a high tea kind of thing. Me. And um, the pastries were gorgeous, and the coffee was that new to me—the Neapolitan um, coffee pot that you turn upside down and wait for the coffee to drip down.
2: Which is, actually, in my opinion, probably the best coffee if, if the coffee is well, well ground. But that's a different story. It's French, by the way. It's not really
1: Neapolitan, but ah, so it started French.
2: Started in France, I mean, because but in, the,
1: in the Naples area, they really do use that coffee. pot. Yes, that they still do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Also because That's it simply nice. takes more time. And in Rome, it's espresso, I, saccate. I,
1: li- I like that style. I like that style. Rome has fa- my favorite coffee. in Stac. Santo Santo <clears throat> Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I was just there a couple of years ago. So cool. Um oh, I just thought of something and I forgot what it was well so
0: Paulette, let's give folks a little bit of background uh on you because we have lots to go through here today so 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 you're a New York native but now you're living in Nashville right and I think you've been living there since was it two was it uh 2009 2008. sorry
1: yeah, 2008 mm-hmm.
0: so um and uh, so you started with your culinary education in New York worked in New York for a while so just fill us in a little bit on your background and, and, and all you, also how you got into writing too.
1: Mm. Oh, lots of big stories there. Um, okay. I'll go the culinary path first, which kind of um, hangs off of the writing path because I've done a lot of different kinds of writing and mainly and a lot of different kinds of work. And mostly because I never was working for one place, one job, I was always like freelance, and when that job is done, it's sort of, okay, what am I going to do next? And so I would find something related to that. So just to back up a little, I was a theatrical stage manager um, while I was still on Long Island for Lort Theatre Path Playhouse in Huntington. Then I started working in New York, and um, I segued into a film editing company because it's kind of theater, film, a little related. Then that segued into TV. So I worked for TV for a long time in children's television. And then that segued into um, writing audio tours for museums, which I did for about 10 years. And um, just at 9 11, when 9 11 happened in 2001, the audio tour business for museums just tanked mm-hmm. like nothing, there was no work. No one was interested in that anymore. So, of course, through that whole thing I had been cooking myself. I had been going to Italy a lot. I'd been doing my own, you know, recipes and learning recipes in Italy and bringing stuff back and it's just for my own use. And I'm also writing for magazines about food. Mostly about Italian food that I've discovered here and there. So, when 9/11 happened and I didn't know what to do, suddenly I had no work. I said, I'm going to go to culinary school. <laughs> I'm sure. I took out a loan. I went and visited these guys at the culinary school and kind of got duped into taking out a loan, which I didn't realize was probably the worst thing I could have done. But anyhow, um, so I went to culinary school and during that whole period, it was the Institute of Culinary Education. Their um, acronym was ICE, which now I think they've changed their name and they also changed the location. They were on 23rd Street. Um, between 5th and 6th, and I think they're down uh, in the financial district now, or maybe they opened a second one. I, I don't know. I haven't been keeping track. So I did that. It was very cool and very fun. But, you know, I felt like I was used to cooking, but you do – I mean, culinary school is so weird. It depends on where you go. If you go to the CIA in Hyde Park, I'm sure that's like a three- or four-year program that I think you get a bachelor's degree at the end. So it's it's like really college, yeah. but for food. right this is a culinary school you know so we had um like four afternoons of five hours um for about a year maybe something like that and you would do um a certain technique in one day and then the next day you do another technique so it's not like you have time to hang with um a new technique you go okay there it is okay now next let's do the next one (laughs) then you go and and so it's up to you to then at the end or whenever really um you know learn how to do it well uh, you know really specialize on it so that's why i think i was right with you that um when we graduated they gave us a little taupe thing and and the, this big book loose um something filled with all kinds of recipes and stuff but they said you're not a chef um so <laughs> just go out there and now become a chef because you have the basic tools to do that so that's what happened, and when I got out of there, I still didn't know what the heck I wanted to do because I kind of went to culinary school with a big question mark over my head. What am I going to do with this? And I was old, you know, I was older, and most of the people in the class were twenty one, you know, so they had like this big broad idea of where they wanted to go. Usually, restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. Know, should I just keep going because yeah, keep I going. can keep going? <laughs> um, so the first place I worked was Mario Batali's Lupa restaurant down in the village on Thompson Street. And in fact, when I, I did an externship there and then I stayed and kept working, and um, when I did my my interview for um, for the school, I, and they were talking about externships, I said, do you think I could go to Lupa? And the reason I wanted to go to Lupa was because it's a Roman, uh, Roman inspired um, menu. Yep. And um, so I ended up there, but I was mostly in the prep kitchen the whole time. I did some garmanger for a short time, which is all the cold stuff, the cold, you know, like salads and stuff like that. But the prep kitchen, you know, this was like in a tenement on, on um, uh, in the West Village. And so the prep kitchen was down in the basement and uh, it was nice and big. Um, but so we were, you know, everything from cleaning sardines to, I don't know, did so many different things there. They had a big pasta maker and they made their fresh pasta and they made their fresh focaccia. The first day I was there, the sous chef said to me, okay, there's going to be a lot of recipes going around. I just want you to know you're free to just write them down and take them away. Don't feel like anything's a secret here. I'm like, okay. Okay. So every day, notes of all his stuff, like, oh, he put that together, he put that together. Um, so it was a great, great learning experience. I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I knew, too, that I was uh, I was not cut out for restaurant stuff. I mean, those guys, they just kill themselves every day. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, in many respects, it's like going into battle every day, right? When you're doing that, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. a, it's a stress cooker. So.
1: Especially the line cooks. The line cooks, <laughs> the, the kitchen where everything hot was going on was a, a, literally a postage stamp that had a window with an exhaust fan that really had no uh, climate control at all. And the exhaust fan would go out into the um, courtyard um, between the backs of all these other buildings. And the neighbors were constantly complaining about the, the smoke and the smells and all the stuff going out. But there was no other way for them to, to sort of do it. Okay. But all the people working on the line, they had like, like tattoos of burns all over the hands (laughs) because the ovens stay on at 500 degrees the whole time because they just open it and close it open and close it throw in there what they have to throw in there and it doesn't matter what the heat what the heat number is it's just like okay it's got to be in there for a minute and then take it out because it's opening closing the whole time you can't can't keep it at a certain uh heat level you know
0: yeah i mean it's i mean even just i i've never i've never you know worked in a line but i've you know watching documentaries of things or things on YouTube, it's it's like a you know like a military setting or war setting. I mean it's 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 serious, right? And it takes a ton of discipline and you get war wounds in the process
1: from your hand. So definitely. Not, oh I do proud to, of them too. You know, they they're proud of them.
2: And not to be down, but it's also one of those uh, though it should it should be considered hazardous. It's not. It actually is. And the life, expense, life expectancy is considerably lower, yeah. a lot lower
1: are for kitchen too? work.
2: Nope, particularly for chefs.
1: Oh. And wow. if you
2: take a look at the tables, they actually are something like seven years lower. It's really, oh, wow. really, I didn't know that. It makes perfect sense. You're inside, even if you cook at home like I do right now without a fan in the wintertime,
0: mm-hmm. you're breathing
2: that crap in.
1: Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so you're
2: breathing things in. And if in you're your in your there all day long yeah. and they're cooking. You know, one, sometimes two sets a day.
1: Yeah, and I can't and say no.
2: And I don't get to leave. You don't get to leave the kitchen either. They're always gonna be in there for yeah. an hour and a half, two hour and a half hours plus yeah. all the, so yeah, so the they look weather. we look at master chef and think that it's some sort of glamorous affair and it is not. No for the no. vast majority of people. No, it not. is not glamorous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because all the celebrity chefs are not in the kitchen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I never met Mario Batali, you know, so um he was never in that kitchen, but um, like I remember the first day of culinary school. The dean coming in and saying, "You're in a very dangerous profession because you deal with sharp objects and fire." <laughs> so yeah, cool
0: <laughs> I mean, and wine, seriously. lots of wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, even I, even just the amount of activity that's happening in a prep kitchen, and like how close you are to each other in the in hot things or sharp things all moving around at once. It's like, you know, it's a war zone yeah. you're in, right? But somehow wonderful things come out of it. But so you so you didn't oh, yeah. so so you spent some time and you know in Lupa. But then but I think didn't you go to there was an educational thing you were doing there or was it catering after
1: that? Yeah, uh, well both. I went I went into catering and um, uh, for a short time and then I was doing with a big catering company and then I did a, a little catering on my own where I did these. Um, there was there's a place in New York called the Writer's Room. Um, which I must, I was a member of, I don't know if it was before or after I catered for them, but their board uh, members would have a meeting every month or so and uh, maybe 10 people. And I would cater their little lunches. And so I would put it out there as as here's a menu and it would be Moroccan or it would be you know French or it would be Greek or something. And they all went for it and they loved it. It was my first like real direct catering work that I did. Um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't easy carting things around because I would have to drive into town and uh, this is why I lived in the Bronx and then use a wheeler thing to wheel my stuff around the streets to get upstairs. But anyway, I worked for a bigger catering company and the first job I did for them was for the Republican convention. Um, oh, this is
0: at uh, Madison Square Garden?
1: Yeah, that was crazy. That would, I, I almost, can't even imagine that. I, yeah, I almost said no. I said... Uh, this. You know, I'm not walking in there. And um, but then I thought, this might be an interesting experience. <laughs> so, so I took it and um, I had all of these security tags that they issued, you know, and 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 the, the, it looked like a, a war zone, Madison Square Garden, because it is already like a square block. But for around ra- the surrounding square blocks, they had it all cordoned off and they had a constant helicopter above with spotlights and all this stuff. And then um, getting in there and we in the concession stands of Madison Square Garden, I'm just picture like a you know basketball place, um, concession stand. That's where we cooked. And and it was weird. And we were cooking for um, the rooms. Uh, the Bush daughters were one room and Pataki. I keep thinking of Governor Pataki. So it really? must have been when yeah. Pataki was governor.
0: And these people would be in the loges? Like, you know, these would be like kind of the elite families. Wow. That'd be crazy. Mm,
1: Like where Taylor Swift sits, you know, for the Kansas city (laughs) Exactly. you know, the fancy places, but because you were at a concession, you can walk into that section that leads to the seats and we weren't supposed to, but when we were, you know, didn't have anything to do, we would walk a little bit in and sort of lean on the wall and watch what they were doing. And, uh, it was, the place was packed and it was crazy. I'm. I i will not get too deep into it, but
0: I can only it imagine good. it was it was a, it was an education. But I even I can't like there was probably a lot of volume that you were cooking there too because there's there's a lot of people at this convention. Or was this more like cooking for the elite? Was this more like specialized? Yeah, it was
1: cooking for a small group in a room. Okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It was, anyway, so that was, yeah. And then, then so, so after that. So for
0: Madison Square Garden, so, so after that, was that, so was it, did you continue? Because wasn't there a point where you were teaching in New York? Or yes. were you wrong about that? Yes. I'd like to hear more
1: about Yes. That. There's, there's a woman, Nicole Negrin, who I had met during my, um, during while I was going to culinary school because she needed some students to help with something. She is Italian-Canadian, and um, she had a cooking studio in Midtown oh, called me. Rustico Cooking, yeah, really, really great. Um, and so she hired me to be one of her co-chefs teacher. So what she would do is she would bring big groups in. It was a big cooking loft. Um, she did so great that she took the second the next floor up and created exactly the same setup and had that many people coming in with her schedule.
0: Wow, that's impressive. So two two yeah. floors, two floors of teaching.
1: Yes, two floors of teaching. And she would do a lot of like uh, team building events. So that's why you may get like 40 to 60 people coming in. And we would do things like, okay, start with a wine tasting over here, start cooking with the other half of the team over here, switch over, and this the next team would cook the other parts of the menu. And then if it was something like risotto or something like that, we would take it up to a certain point, which why I learned that you can take risotto up to a certain point and then finish it later, and you really can. Really? Um, okay, you got to tell me about that. Down, yeah, and everybody would sit down, and then we would finish the cooking and then serve them and stuff like that. But then she would have a regular classes that might be 12 people and stuff. And anyway, she had such a great system that when I ended up moving to Nashville... Um, anyway, I moved to... Okay, I worked for her for about three years. Um, and... Um, I ended up moving to Nashville because a lot of my family came down here, and I had lost my father, and my mom and my sister were still in Las Vegas. They had moved to Las Vegas, and I was in New York, and we were so far away that when my dad died and my aunt and cousin who lived in Nashville suggested my mom and sister should move here, I was at a point where I thought, I'm going to move too and be close to my family. So that's why I ended up here, but nobody is from here, Um, but we're all here. So there was a group in in Nashville called Italian for Fun. And I saw their flyer very soon after I moved here and they had Italian language classes and whatever else. So I met this woman, Patty, who was running it, who is also not Italian, but lived in Italy for 20 years and was fluent in Italian. And so I was taking classes with her, and at one point she said, look, I have so-and-so who's going to do Italian wine tastings. I need somebody to do Italian cooking classes. Oh, cool. So I'm like, well, okay, I don't know where I'm going to do it. She said, well, why can't you do it out of your house? So I said, all right, let me try it. So I tried it, and um, I was in the kind of condo townhouse kind of thing. It was a small kitchen, and I started out, and – using her list actually of people who were taking, uh, language classes. And then by word of mouth, it kept building. So that was in 2009. And, um, then I, I moved in 2016 to a bigger house. I kept doing it and I had my classes would sell out for the entire season in like one day, you Now about 12 classes wow. for the fall. And it, it really built up and, um, then COVID hit and, um, and then I didn't want to do it here after COVID. Um, I mean, maybe I still will, but I found another place to do it. So I just don't have the schedule that I would like because they don't have availability. But uh, so I'm still at it.
0: That's amazing. So, what? So, so the, doing it from your home, logistically, mm-hmm. like how many people could you have there in class? It would have to be pretty, pretty tight quarters, I would imagine.
1: Yes. And in fact, in the condo situation, they used to love it. They, you know, when I moved to the bigger house, they were like, oh, we like the other one. It's so cozy. But, you know, so really six to eight, it can be more than that, you know.
0: Well, it's great. It's great. Cause even like here in like, you know, where I live, you know, when people do these kind of cooking parties or cooking classes, it's actually great when it's like around 10 people ish. Great social mm-hmm. thing. You're getting, you know, it's, I you don't know, it's a, it's a blast to do it, you know, I'm sure. And you're, were you teaching people? core cooking skills in general or more focusing on Italian stuff like cooking like Italian technique or what what was what was the thing that was really kind of you know making it go like what was what was give me an example of some of the 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 things you would do in your classes
1: well definitely Italian Italian occasionally I would go into other Mediterranean cuisines but uh, fresh pasta making do that a lot gnocchi you know um all kinds of meat it would be a full meal so we would have like in the first course a second course and a dessert that we would serve the food part all at the same time <coughs> um I, and the dining part of it is a big part of it too because i call them italian cooking parties more than classes mm-hmm. so we all really cook together i mean you learn techniques but you don't feel like you're in a formal teaching situation, you know, I just kind of say, okay, here's how I do this, blah, 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 blah. And then they all start doing it. And I just kind of keep my eyes on. And if somebody's going way over into the different direction, I just try to pull it back. But otherwise I like to let them just do what they're going to do. I'm showing you what to do Mm -hmm. and let's see you do it, you know? um, Cause I really feel like, you know, the cook, the hands of the cook is the food and you can follow a recipe, 10 people could follow one recipe and it's all gonna come out different. And I think that's great. I love that part of it. Yeah. So we do very much focused on Italian cooking, very much. Sometimes I'll do a class called Sicily on a plate or Rome on a plate, and there'll be something that's really from, all the dishes will be from that region or that city.
0: That's neat. So I imagine if you're doing if you're doing it on like an area, like if it's in Sicily or Rome, do you kind of spin stories into it and give people kind of like kind of how I say it in the in the moment type of thing of like understanding a little bit more about Italy too?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. It just naturally comes up. Naturally comes up because certain things will remind me of certain things, and the amount of time that I spend back and forth, um, you know, there are stories to tell, and people love it. I mean. I really it. I don't try to make it a big social situation, but it, it turns out to be that. It turns out to be um, people just having fun, you know. Mm-hmm. And we're making some great, great food, and, and they love the recipes. They love. They love the food. They love um, taking it home and making it. And they tell me that they, you know, tried a certain recipe and it turned out great, or they'll write me and ask me, what, what did you mean by this? And you know, how much of that should they really be and whatever, you know? So people really, really absorb it and and use it.
2: When you asked the question before, Andy, about what makes it go, I can't know because I wasn't there. But I think it's very much Paulette that helps make it go because there's one thing which she does when she sings, when she inclusion. There's an element uh, of inclusiveness, warmth, and respect, which uh, comes across, and the different bazillion different things
0: that she does. Yep. I, I would it. agree. You, you, you kind of you you set you set the atmosphere, right? I, let's I say that if
2: oh, sorry, go ahead. let's go. So Let's say that if Mario Batali were were, were teaching uh, a young or, or different Batali, maybe his indulgence <laughs> and inclusion would not be that way. Right. Exactly, and if he were then. Uh, stupid enough to maybe correct him when he was making a mistake following the time recipe, he would kick you out of the room, <laughs>
1: even
2: yeah. though even though you're right and he's
0: wrong. He would still be kicked out. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, I, th- and I think it's I think it's true, Paul, because everything I, I you know I read on your site, you know, and we'll we'll get into your books in a second. You know, I've watched your videos. You know, today in Nashville, you have a way of kind of you know of pulling the room in, right, and and making everybody feel. You know, like they're part of it. They're learning at the same time and laughing. So I, I think a lot of it is you. I would
1: agree with you, on that. Well, that's really that. That's really sweet. I, I appreciate that. I, I do. Oh, I, yeah, I never feel like I'm teaching. I always feel like I'm just. I'll tell. I'll tell you about something. You know, and, and, and you you try it. See what happens. <laughs> that's really nice. Like thank you.
2: So if you Andy, to- I'm going to make. Okay, I'm going to make an aside though before you before we get too long. At a certain point, uh. I'd like to hear about Dwayne and your story because it seems to be Absolutely. rather neat. We not even <laughs> mention going to Woodstock with et
0: yeah, Going to and, uh, Woodstock? Just, what? Yes. Yeah. So, okay, we're going into the <laughs> and then going somehow somehow, And then somehow,
2: and then somehow uh, the two of them apparently did not see each other for like 55 years or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's
0: cool. And
2: then they wind up... Singing together, making so, music. So now
0: we're going to segue into Paulette's music career. Okay, Paulette, here we go. Well, just
2: before it gets, <laughs> before we get too deep into it, then we don't hear the story because I want to hear the story.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Or at least, yeah. I don't tell the story that I don't, I don't bring up the Woodstock thing that much is because I'm still like, wait a minute, I don't want people to try to calculate how old. I am. Oh,
2: you're right. My apology. Well, she was a she
1: <laughs> okay. kid. She was she was with
0: her she was with her parents. I was going to say she <laughs> was she was newborn at the time. So. <laughs> if you're, if you're... Give
1: her a break. <laughs> that's, that, that's what I always follow it up with. Um, so, okay, well, Dwayne and I went to high school together. Um, and we were friends in high school. And, um, you know, high school was kind of weird. It was kind of like a sports-focused high school. And, you know, I wasn't interested in that. So it was sort of the art department people that hung out together. And, um, and, and we were like a group of friends. It was a group that always hung out and did stuff together. So I know Dwayne that way. And once in a while, we would be just us, because we're waiting for somebody else or whatever. So it was that kind of a friendship. And then um, it, when Woodstock happened, I bought tickets to go. I, I don't know how I was going. I had, I didn't have a car. I, I don't know. I bought tickets to go. And Dwayne bought tickets to go, and he had a car. And he, I said, I have tickets. He said, Well, well, what? Let's go. We'll go. And. Um, I said okay, and and we went, and the two of it was just the two of us. In his, uh, he knows the thing. I don't know, it was a sixty-two Chevy or something strange, an old car, and um, so it was just the two of us that went, and we went totally as friends. We were very just friends. We slept in the car together, just friends, and uh, experienced that whole insanity, which was great, and it was it's a great thing to have in your head as. Being there was really amazing. I mean, because we were going to a concert. you weren't going to Woodstock, you know, nobody thought of it that way. It was a concert of all these great bands, you know and so you wanted to be there. and then it turned into that, you know, um even while we were there, we were walking around somewhere and we saw a newspaper that said disaster area, you know hippie uh, something disaster area and we're like because oh, of the rain and the mud and all that. We didn't feel, it didn't feel like that at all. Okay, so after that, um, we left high school and went on our separate ways. Dwayne had kids and other careers and I had careers and other careers. And then we decided to have a, my friend group, the, uh, sorry, the high school was doing a reunion and we didn't want to go to the reunion because we didn't like everybody. So we said, let's just have our own reunion of the people that our friend group. So we did that. And it was at my apartment in the Bronx because um, some people were in Massachusetts, some people were in New Jersey, some people were in Long Island. And so that seemed to be a good focal point. And so they came there and we were like 12 people because I remember it was like There's all these 12. So they came at 12. They left at 12. We were 12. And whatever the date was, was 12. And, and so Dwayne and I saw each other for the first time in a long time. And after he left some little, you know, I don't know, Cupid or somebody, a little tick went off. And, um, and we started writing emails to each other. And anyway, it turned into a romance, but he was in Spain and I was in New York. And then when I moved then right around that time, about few months later, I was moving to Nashville. And then about a year and a half, half later, Dwayne moved to Nashville. Now he's been a musician his entire life, but not um, without doing a job job. Mm-hmm. First he was but then he had kids and he had to get a job job. And so when he came to Nashville, he ended up, I mean, like almost suddenly, he's in like five different bands, he's playing music all over the place because this place is like that. And years ago, I had written a play um, about a couple of young girls who were interested in jazz. And I wrote two songs to go with that play. I didn't think of myself as a songwriter, but I didn't want to pay royalties for songs. So I said, well, I'm just gonna write something. And I showed him those songs one night. And um, he said, we have to do these songs. These are great songs. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and awesome. he said, yeah, let's, let's do these songs. I said me, I'm going to do a song. And he said, yes, come on, we're going to sing it. And so we started working on these two songs and he recorded them. And we had, he had started setting up a recording studio situation and we rec- recorded those two songs. And, and then we started working on other songs and little by little, we found places to play out in Nashville and started building up our, um, our repertoire of uh, of songs. Uh, we do a lot of covers too. We do like fifties and sixties old pop radio classics. That's like our favorite stuff. But then we've got all our originals too. Now we, I mean, we've been playing out since you know two thousand twelve, I guess, and uh, it's a thing. That's <laughs> it's awesome. a big part of my life. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. So ten years plus of performing. That's fantastic. Uh-huh.
1: And I never did that kind of thing before. So now, now, I'm into singing. I don't play anything. I wish I had the time to learn something to sort of, you know, because Dwayne plays guitar. We used to be a drummer. Now suddenly he's a guitarist, um, but uh, that's how we do it.
2: That's really cool. Yeah, that is very, very, very cool. can you? like <laughs> character characterly <laughs> characterly. There may be some similarities, ironically, between Andrew and and and
0: Dwayne. Some oh, yeah? aspects. Are some aspects from what you're describing.
1: Oh interesting. And okay.
0: For me, I'm a so I'm a music enthusiast. I don't play, right? But uh mm-hmm. you know, I'm formerly involved with radio, formerly involved with music production. So I love music. Mm-hmm. I love every I love everything to do with it.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, she now it makes me want to interview you a little like because I'd like to know what music <laughs> type of music are you drawn to the most.
0: It's, it's funny because he, well, I mean, the, the music I was drawn to, so I was, I was a DJ in the okay, mid-80s, right? So I was very much influenced by um, not 80s pop, but 80s college radio. So this would be British-oriented stuff. But after that whole thing was very much getting into, well, and you know growing up in the 70s, obviously 70, 70s music as well, but I, you know, it's funny because in, in Giovanni and I spent time together, um, even jazz, right? Like there was this really oh, hip jazz place we would hang out. And um, yeah. so I, I think I, mm. I have pretty eclectic, you know, uh, taste in it. I try to pass down my eclectic taste to my family, you know, and to my kids. But if it's, if it's good music, it's good music, right? And yes. um, so, yeah, I and I. And, one of, one of the coolest things was being able to hang out with Giovanni in New York, right? And the music scene in New York, you know, and the villi- mm. you know, in the village and all that is just amazing. As Giovanni kind yeah. of like, yeah. mm, shakes his head it a little bit. It had fallen.
2: It had fallen. <laughs> we we completed each other. Andy would actually teach me things like who is Oingo Boingo. I don't know if you know these names, no. or uh, uh, REM. Introduced okay. me to e. REM. REM. <laughs> and we actually went and saw OMD. Uh, Mm-hmm. and i think yes in concert we and i instead would would have him listen to Chet Baker Chet
0: Baker and... oh, or you go to the blue note and all this kind of stuff so you're yes oh, and also
2: great. we're from cleveland and at the time uh, we had Vantagnani. so it was probably the best orchestra overall if you want to call it the best on in the globe on the globe and so introduced him to to cuz cuz the cleveland orchestra was perfect when he was there it ruins you because then it ruins you because you're used to perfection when you listen to classical music. Anyway, so I introduced him to the of concertos and such. The Cleveland and he introduced me to, to that all that music, that music profession. that I would never have come across.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and, and uh, to, this, to this day, it's amazing, Giovanni. Is that, A lot of people that don't know Cleveland, the Cleveland Orchestra is epic. It's just an epic. epic. Oh, wow.
1: That is but good. it's
2: Not as good
0: as it used to be. Honestly. Not as good as it used to be. but, but still world-class. World so. No longer
1: I the best band. I that's great. Well, Ja, you mentioned, mentioned uh, Chet Baker. I, I used to love Chet Baker. I got into jazz when I was very young, like in like junior high school. I, I was listening to jazz, and that's part of what that play was about that I was telling you about. But, um, but classical music, too. I mean, in the 70s, I kind of stopped listening to popular radio, and I was into classical or jazz. You know, that, that was, like, the music I liked the most. Yeah.
0: So, great. so... All it you you have a I mean you have a, a career in singing you have you have a former career in um, you know in theater production and TV production and you're an author too so you've written was it at least two books I believe here your most recent book is the Easy Italian Cookbook so walk us through what it was like to bring the Easy Italian Cookbook to life
1: well that was that was actually not that hard because. Um, I um, I was contacted by the publisher to do that book, and they really just were happy with me to tap into recipes that I already had, you know, because I was already, this was just, I don't know, came out during COVID, it came out in 2020, so I already had um, all the recipes I was doing in my classes, so I kind of just grabbed all of those and um that what was weird about that book is they said we want it to be so easy that nobody has to use a food processor or a mixer or any equipment so i just looked for the recipes that were like that uh, which is a lot easy in italian cooking i think Um, but even things like a focaccia dough that i would normally use a, a mixer for i um I said, I'm going to try this with just a bowl and a fork. And I mm-hmm. did. And it was great. And it's how I make it all the time. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so, uh, so that was, that it was, it, it, it's, um, that was that book. The one before that um, was a little bit more involved, the Italian cooking party. Um, I basically, you know, did most of the production on that and had to put it together. And, um, it was also, you know, recipes that I already had, and and um, I don't know. To me, the both of those books are sort of just a published uh, version of what's in my computer. Um, that's how, that's how it feels, you know. And um, I, I, you know, being a writer that's interested in writing fiction, that's interested in writing creative nonfiction, that used to be interested in writing poetry, and that has written plays and has written screenplays the cookbook to me is more like a, um, a notebook file, you know,
0: it's probably just a, it's (laughs) a reflection of your, it's probably a reflection of the stuff that you just are creating. Right. So, so it's the stuff that you, you already have kind of at your disposal and you're just packaging it together for others to enjoy.
1: That's right. And, you know, you have to write some introductory um, chapters and stuff like that. And, um, which is, which is fun to do, um, things that you know or you think you know about, <laughs> about Italian uh, cooking and, and Italians. Um, but um, I have a, a friend in, in Parma who was such a great tour guide for my group when I brought them there, Stefania, and um, I sent her the book to read and she came back with a list of changes. oh oh I was gonna say,
2: <laughs> we talked about this with Andrew. Forgive me, Paulette. But that's just, I'll intervene because, unfortunately, with, with Andy as well, because um, anything you want is cool. I'm exactly as I think. Not exactly. I'm very similar with Paulette if you want to. But if you're going to call something this, then there are parameters, sometimes even official parameters. Mm-hmm. And that's something which sometimes Andy and I get 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 into not, in, in, discussion. But um, Andy would like to be, but then he ends up going back in that direction. I remember twice he went back to that. Probably well intentioned, but very lazy New, Jer- New Jersey New dude, which co- teen or guy who cooks that has a bazillion followers. You do not use pancetta with carbonara. You do not use okay. There, are the, but you don't. Okay, you don't.
0: And, and it's just it's just a hard. Or that
2: one. other Italian, or that other woman, which was insulting because she's from Bologna. And this this palette will do is not a ragu but a bolognese. How long do you have to let go? Not a direct, simple ragu, but. A, how long have you have to there is a minimum by the way. It is two hours. Really? You can't do it in forty-five minutes. And it's 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 deposited in the in the common of Bologna. There's actually and you've got to do that. So Andy and I actually get in these sort of things. Andy, you know, you, you can make a ragu, <laughs> right. you don't have we to, to call it Bologna. It's too. just a ragu. In fact, she calls her and it's really it's a perfect uh, direct recipe, because many of Paulette's recipes are the alchemistic element of italic cooking, which does you don't get that too much, particularly in northern France, none in Germany. We're a little bit in Hungary Strategy, where you rely on ingredients to come together and do their magic.
1: Yeah, and you yeah. adjust
2: it and that's why ten different people, ten different results. And they do their magic. And she has this great little lamb ragu, but it's a lamb ragu. You do not call it lamb, is it? No. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, first of all, it doesn't have any celery and, and a million other ingredients, but yeah. No, yeah. I I'm even hesitant to call it ragu because um but anyway, you know, that, that's the thing. When you're in the States, you could take a couple of little leaps here and there. In fact, you know, I do make carbonara with pancetta just because I can't always find guanciale. Exactly. So I just like, wanna have it, but it's kind of like it if you use pancetta. <laughs> Not exactly, I know. I learned, listen to this, when I was going to school in Rome, um, this is funny because it, it was an American school. And once again, I'm older than everybody else because I come to things after. Um, and so I'm uh, with this pack of girls that were all at this school. And we met a pack of guys, Romans, that hang out at the Campidoglio. Apparently, it seems that at every tourist site, there's a pack of guys just waiting to meet um, American tourists or whatever, French tourists, whatever they're looking for. But these were good yeah. guys. I mean, we... we- <laughs> We became friends. There was one romance out of that, but other than that, we just hung out together, and they would take us to places that they liked and all this stuff. Why was I going with this? Oh, one of them, one day, he lived in EUR. How do you say that in Italian? EUR. EUR. Okay. So he took us to his parents' apartment. It was in the afternoon. There were like three or four of us, and he said, I'm going to show you how to make spaghetti alla carbonara. I'm like okay, so and I wasn't into cooking then, but I was. I remember the first time I had carbonara in Rome, though. I remember it. I was a, when I was a student. I could see the bowl in my, in my. I was by myself at a little trattoria, and I could see, could still see the dish and the food inside, and them, you know, the black pepper and the and just this sort of like, gloss on the spaghetti, and it was. I didn't know what it was, and I had that, and it was. It was such a revolution, revolution and revelation, just like my mind just went boom. Anyhow, but even with that, I wasn't like I got to learn how to make it. I wasn't interested in cooking mutts by then. He showed us how to make carbonara, and the way he made it is the way I still make it, still make it just like that. And I'm so afraid to waver from that. But once in a while, even in an Italian, an Italian, Italian cookbook or like La Cucina Italiana, which I follow them, look at their website, I'll see new ways. They, they're going to do it like this or they're going to do it like that or they heat up the egg and they do this and that because I don't heat up the egg and all that stuff. And, um, and then I try it. And it's never right. It's never what that guy taught, Massimo, what he taught us how to do from his family.
2: I was gonna have the big I was a break in comical and say, Well Paulette is, is is you will you will try and then you will like so much you will heart will move to the moon and then you will marry me.
0: And that is am going to make you but
2: My regarding name is Massimo, that
0: Massimo, you are going to marry a, me.
1: <laughs> no no he, Massimo, this guy was very tall, and we had one girl in our group, Debbie. Who from Texas? Who was very tall, and the two of them—that w- that was that was the romance in the group. But I don't think it lasted. No, you want
2: won- you didn't care. It was a, a marvelous moment. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of the questions, which because we're getting a bit long, uh, was going to ask is the difference between when you're teaching Italian cooking and how, because you can't really distinguish um, in the United States because we don't have we have standardized industrial products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, uh, for example, I made carbonara in two different ways. Oh, because in Rome, I had discovered one time in in uh, what the slow food thing, this dude that <laughs> ruined it, because he made uh, he used these black skinned pigs out that are free roaming, and made <laughs> this guanciale
1: that
2: was so good.
1: Mm. And so
2: in Rome, I would make it with his guanciale. Ah. and uh, it was good enough so that I would make it with uh, uh, the usual way. In the north instead, uh, there was where I would buy my guanciale. He would buy it from a place uh, nearby Lago di di Como, and uh, it had a slight smokiness to it. So up north, I actually made it differently by using a whole pasteurized egg yolk because it was sweeter because the guanciale, Mm. was uh, uh, saltier, oh, interesting, and oh, interesting. so you make it differently from place to place. More oh, importantly, in this, in Rome, because I would go to to a place, uh, Trastevere, um, a Jewish, uh, 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 we call it a deli. But it's not a deli, and he introduced me to what what pecorino romano is supposed to be. The angel, and it, it is salty, mm. and it is. But when you begin to eat it, it opens up and becomes harmonious, which is different from the mm. Sardinian which are instead really heavily salty, and you've got to use, you don't have to, but you just have to use a bit of parmigiano to tame it. And yeah. every little bit changes. Yes. Bit. So you can't really make the same recipe.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what gets me
2: exacerbated when they have these shows saying, you can't use this. No, the idea is, what, poly, What is the end result good?
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> so yes.
2: That's yes. all it exactly, is.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Go
2: down the, the old roads, the, 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 the Apia Appia. They would use, you know, cemetery. They, they would use old rocks and cemetery to build a house. You just use what you have to yes, make what you need.
1: Yes,
0: right. That's the telling.
2: Use it. That's all.
0: Good. Sorry, I'm blabbing. No, it's it's, no it's, it's 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 use what you have, and and you and you adapt to what you're putting together to make the end product. Right. So you have to you have to kind of learn and adapt.
2: I was going to ask Paula, but there's not because we've been, it's already been for fifty two minutes. Um, if when you teach uh, uh, people, I'm assuming most of them are Americans when you teach, mm-hmm. I mean, nearly all of them, if there's a tendency to sort of already arrive with being able to distinguish that milk isn't milk, I'm, I always use that phrase from an economics teacher that I had, I had an argument with who said milk is milk. I said, no. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what ruins the world. That's tables. Milk is not milk. For milk, you make all these different cheeses. <laughs> and and in the U.S. you don't realize you put seven liters of milk in or seven liters of this cheese in, and yes, but do they know the big difference between this cheese and that cheese and
1: mm. and
2: this kind of mint and that kind of mint, or is it just mm-hmm. a very general when you teach them?
1: No, well, don't forget I'm in the states too, and I'm in Nashville too. I mean, if I was in New York, I would have a broader spectrum of products, mm-hmm. you know, just because they make sure to get stuff in here. It's very okay. I mean, even to find a pecorino romano of any sort is can be a, a challenge, you know. I mean it's there, but it's you know, it's not very um there's not too many choices. So yes, I totally do. Whenever we have stuff, you know, do, like you mentioned mint, I mean differences of mint and um and and differences of it. even the pa- the pasta, you know, if we're using dried pasta, you know, where it came from, what type it is, what what it's been made out of and you know stuff like that. So whenever I have um, enough comparisons to be able to do, I cer- certainly do. And it's funny how they learn to recognize stuff, and they get they get into it. They get into it, and then they'll try and they'll mimic it back to me. You know, like uh, you know, that's what that's what you said. That's what Chef Paulette said. Like salt. I mean, every single oh time God, yeah. we have a discussion about salt, because. That, I mean, we don't have that many choices of salt either, but I use kosher salt. Um, that's what I learned to use, starting back from Batali's restaurant and what the levels and the brands are and what the different sodium levels are. And, and you know, and so you know what salt you're using. But then I also tell them when I was in culinary school, the first three months, we would cook recipes and bring it up to the chef instructor for the first three months, they would say, more salt, more salt. Mm-hmm. Because as cooks, you don't realize that you have to put in um, enough salt. Never, never make it salty, but enough salt to bring up the the flavor of the food. So yeah, so I do do a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, and even you've been watching some of the the episodes of Today in Nashville, you could tell that they're learning right in the process. And they're asking you a thing about. Would it be about when you went to the trip to parma and you brought back you know picarino romano and they're asking about like the different parmigiano. ages par, excuse me parmigiano i apologize parmigiano yeah. and they're asking about the different ages you know the one that you brought couldn't be shaved because it was too young so you could see yeah. that people really love learning but they need the right context for it right and they need to realize yeah. that you know cooking isn't about following directions it's about you know finding harmony in things right and then figuring out how to combine things correctly for the right outcome and knowing and knowing, you know, knowing what goes with well with each other.
1: Yeah. And experimenting, you know, you have these tools or you have these these ingredients that, you know, can make this dish. But, you know, what else? You know, just you know what it is. So it can go a lot of different places. Yeah.
0: So you've also done tours of Italy, too. And have you mm-hmm. found that when people are there and they're experiencing, like you, you had mentioned before, that you. You actually have people in that area, whether it be in Parma or in uh, Puglia, cooks there cooking. Do you find that it's kind of eye-opening for people from the U.S. to, to see cooks there?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, it's eye-opening for me. Um, you know, all, all kinds of things. And, you know, I, I'll make contacts with people in certain regions um, who, um, you know, can connect me to experiences, cooking experiences or tours or whatever. And, you know, sometimes they want to set me up with a chef. You know, and I'm like, well, do you have a home cook we can go to instead? Because I would much rather go to a home cook than a chef. And and I invariably, well, twice this happened. Once in Sicily, and once in Puglia. We ended up going to his mother's house. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, Andy, it's changed. You eat better if you go to you the aunt's house and then on the oh, South. You, you you eat better now if you go there than if you go to a lot of restaurants. Yes.
1: Of course, and and you want to know what are people cooking at home. That's what I want to know. What are people cooking at home? Um, and so it, it, it turns out to be the most delightful experience, and so an eye opening for me too. Because even if I made, uh, in fact, there's a not the bourjol, but um, there's another bavette. Do they call it? I don't know. It's a it's like a wrapped meat that they make in Puglia. That I would say <laughs> bourjol. I don't know how you would say it how you supposed to say, you know, for anybody says that in Italian. Bracciolo. It? Bracciolo.
2: Bracciolo. Bracciolo. Fill it with some cheese and uh, cacciacovale usually, and then you ship it in yes. the tomato sauce. And yes. it, you let it cook for like 15 years. Yes. <laughs>
1: exactly. But it's amazing how one hour sometimes, depending on the meat, you can it's actually enough,
2: yeah. It. I'm exaggerating. But in
1: Puglia, they they have like a small piece of meat. They have one little tiny chunk of cheese, and I think it was cacciacovale, and um, like a parsley leaf or something. And they put a um, a toothpick, and she got the pot out and put oil in the pot and fit all the meat in there and then put it on the heat.
0: Oh, I remember! I, I remember like, watching this, and, that, and that, the oil was cold, right? And that was like, it the was most, yeah,
1: I couldn't believe it. Made no difference whatsoever. It was perfectly fine. It was it was just great. Yeah, yeah in the years, right. Gotta love it. And she made the roquete. So, this woman, she would. She would do the whole. Oh, God. She'd have a pile so, like this in a minute, and we're going around and around. We get.
2: <laughs> Such elegance. Yeah. Or
0: the art at that point. So.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I saw a restaurant once in um, Testaccio. I guess you'd call it a restaurant. Um but it was more like a counter and they had a few tables and you can get a little glass of wine, uh, but mostly people were taken out and they had, you know, five or six hot food things. And they would got pizza they would take from the back kitchen and people can order that. And that was it. I mean, it was no wait service. It was like, this is what they're cooking today. And, that was like my favorite place. Every time I cool. think of it, I open a place. I would want Anna to open a place like that.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's this is what I feel like cooking this week. And if, and when it's gone, it's gone. And if you like it, great. If not, whatever.
1: <laughs> it was so busy and, and so lovely. It was It's just the, my favorite place. My other favorite place in Rome is um, in the Jewish section. I love uh, Nona Betta. Uh, That's I just,
2: a historical end. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love I love their cooking. I love the menu and artichokes. Mm, yeah, artichokes, my favorite vegetable.
0: Love. Well, Paulette, we could go on and on. In fact, we have to have you back on this show because we have lots more to talk about. But this this was an absolute blast. You know, getting to know you and 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 just learn about your your career and how how many things you. I mean, it's you're a Renaissance person, Paulette. It's it's pretty clear. <laughs>
1: Living in the wrong uh, wrong era, maybe. Yeah, let me show you. This is the, this is a painting on my easel right now. Yeah,
0: it's maybe good. you should be living in Florence. Yeah, you're a painter, so.
1: Okay. Hey, let's see cool. All right, so this is just started. So this is going to be Saint Peter's. Neat. Let's see, it's kind of. I'm going to take the make the columns come around the edge, but in a very sort of offbeat kind of way. Already the colors are kind of off the, the doors are in columns are not there yet, but that's just a bit. cool. I don't know why I
0: just
1: showed you that.
0: It's fun. I love, love the I love the paintings behind you too.
1: The dining room is my painting studio. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that'd be great. I would love to do this again. You know, it'd be good if we do do it again. Is like we'll pick like a, like maybe three iconic dishes, like the way we started getting into carbonara, because you can like talk about that for three hours at least um, and the, and then like just piece it pick it apart and, and all the things that we know about it and have seen about it and whatever experienced I think that could be fun I would love
0: it yeah.